Brilliant. Well, it's great to see you all this morning. And as Anil said, we're continuing our just a three-week series exploring the Father Heart of God. The vision for this year, our 2020 vision, is that we want to see God more clearly. And we're particularly focusing these three weeks on looking at God as our Father, seeing God in focus. Last week, David uh, took us through who he is, who God is as creator and father. And next week, Colin's going to be picking up the series, looking at the heartbeat that our Father God has for us. But today, we're going to be looking at who we are in Christ, particularly focusing on us being adopted by God. Because we need to know we are adopted, that we have a father. And I'm so grateful for the worship team, for laying a great foundation to speak on the back of, and also for Rose and Dave's word about God, that we belong to God, that we're his, and that we have a father who delights in us. So I'm going to read a passage that's probably quite familiar to many of us. We're going to be looking at Ephesians 1 today and verses 2 to 14. Uh, For those of you who've been around us and our style of churches, Ephesians is a book that we come back to over and over again. In fact, David famously spent years going through Ephesians in this church. So in a way, I'm glad he's not here as we launch into Ephesians He's off visiting Hannah and Biama and the children over in the Ivory Coast. But we're going to be looking at Ephesians today. And we're looking at these first few verses in Ephesians 1 that explore what it means for us to be adopted by God. The Bible Speaks Today series book talks about this chunk that we're going to look at today as saying it's full of God, the Father who has set his love and poured his grace upon us and who is working out his eternal plan. So I'm going to read it from the New Living Translation today. We don't normally read that uh, from church, but I just found it quite a helpful way. Uh, It pulls out this idea of adoption particularly strongly. So let's read it together. It should come up. There we go. It's brilliant. May God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ give you grace and peace. All praise to God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly realms, because we are united with Christ. Even before he made the world, God loved us and chose us in Christ to be holy and without fault in his eyes. God decided in advance to adopt us into his own family by bringing us to himself through Jesus Christ. This is what he wanted to do, and it gave him great pleasure So we praise God for the glorious grace he has poured out on us who belong to his dear son. He is so rich in kindness and grace that he purchased our freedom with the blood of his son and forgave our sins. He has showered his kindness on us along with all wisdom and understanding. God has now revealed to us his mysterious will regarding Christ, which is to fulfill his own good plan. And this is the plan. At the right time, he will bring everything together under the authority of Christ, everything in heaven and on earth. Furthermore, because we are united with Christ, we have received an inheritance from God, for he chose us in advance, and he makes everything work out according to his plan. 
God's purpose was that we Jews who were the first to trust in Christ would bring praise and glory to God. And now you Gentiles have also heard the truth, the good news that God saves you. And when you believed in Christ, he identified you as his own by giving you the Holy Spirit, whom he promised long ago. The Spirit is God's guarantee that he will give us the inheritance he promised and that he has purchased us to be his own people. He did this so we would praise and glorify him. Hallelujah. So what we're going to do today is we're going to look at, first of all, what does it mean by adoption? What did Paul understand? What was in his thinking when he wrote this letter to the Ephesians? And secondly, what are the benefits of being adopted? Robert Patterson, who's a professor in systematic theology and has uh, written many books, said about adoption in terms of being adopted by God, meaning that the true and living God, the creator of the heavens and the earth, by grace has made believers members of his family with all the rights and responsibilities that go with that status. Now, when Paul was writing to the Ephesians, the Romans were the main uh, power, the main empire at that time. And it's very likely that his understanding of adoption, as you would expect, was shaped by the Roman system of adoption, which was known as adoptio sensu strictu. Now, I don't know what your Latin's like. Did anyone actually learn Latin when they were at school? A sprinkling of hands. I am included in that. I did actually learn Latin. In fact, I have a GCSE in Latin. I know, right? It's been so useful. Or how's your classical history? Anyone into your kind of classics, ancient Rome and ancient Greeks? Well, I want to introduce you today to a family that I have known. I worked out this morning. I was introduced to them 32 years ago when I started doing Latin. And they became very dear to my heart. The whole of the Latin course that I did was the Cambridge Latin course. If we can have the next slide, please. This might be familiar to some of you, because the thing about Latin, it doesn't change. This was the very first page of the very first textbook I studied when I started secondary school. So the first Latin lesson, there it was. We met this family. And they actually became very dear to my heart, because over the following four years, we followed this family. The family lived uh, in Pompeii, and... uh, they, it, it tracked through, building up to the eruption of Vesuvius. And it became more and more dramatic as we got used to them. Uh, and the saddest bit of all was actually Kerberos there, the dog. Kerberos Escanis, the dog. The, the family fled. When the, and it's based on a true story. They actually found documents around this family. And uh, this dog, he was left chained up outside the house when the family fled. And that's how it ended, basically, with Vesuvius erupting and the dog being left behind. I couldn't believe it. It was so traumatic, having spent four years getting to know this family. What? How can they do that to teenagers? It's outrageous. Well, this was the family. So uh, up the top there, Caecilia says Pater. He was the dad of the family. Matella es Marta. She was the mum. Then Quintus es Filius. He was the son. And then at the bottom there, we've got Grumio es Coccus, which is the cook and Clemens S. Servus, which was the slave. It looks like servant, but actually was a slave. So that was the family that we were introduced to. And in Paul's thinking, 
he would have been thinking about families like that. So I'm going to give you a bit of a history lesson today, and we're going to look at three Latin phrases that were so key to how this adoptio sensu stricto worked, the adoption system, because it helps set the, the basis for what Paul then writes when he writes the Ephesians. So first of all, we have this phrase, patria potestus. Patria potestus. And actually, that means that the dad of the family had complete control and authority over sons and daughters. His control was absolutely finite. There was nothing there was nothing that final. There was nothing they could do. In fact, there was not an age where when the children stopped being answerable to the father. He had complete control. To the point in the early days of the Roman society where the father could decide whether children stayed alive or would died. He had that much control. And it never got to 18, 21, no, no matter how old they were, they were always under the authority and control of the father. That's what that term means. And that made it quite difficult if there was ever going to be any adoption. Because the children totally were under the control of their father. So for adoption to happen, they had to be completely transferred to a different father. They had to come under the pater potestas of another father. And that's what happened. So it was a very significant and serious thing for a child to be transferred. And often it wasn't young children, it would actually be more likely to be adults that were adopted uh, to help with their social status or if they were in trouble. Let me show you how it might work. So I need some volunteers right now. We're going to bring back to life some of these characters that I was introduced to 32 years ago. So I need a Caecilius. Aeneal, would you come and be Caecilius, please? You look like a, a, a wealthy, honourable gentleman. You can be Caecilius. In fact, because you're so wealthy, I'm going to give you a pot of coins here, OK? A bag of coins. Of so if, if you can come over. And we need a Metella for you. So Liz, could you come and be Metella, please? So she was the mother, OK? And then we need Quintus, the son, their son, their biological son, um, who could be their son? Anyone feel like being a son to Anil and Liz? Sorry, Kaikilis. Come on then, John, you come and be their son. Thank you, you can be Quintus. Okay. Absolutely. Then uh, let's just, for imagine's, uh, imaginary sake here, we'll Groomio the cook. So we need Groomio the cook. Sam, you look like a good cook. <laughs> so if you can come and be Groomio, please. If you can come and stand over here. And then Grumio had a son, okay? Clemens, the slave, was uh, Grumio's son. So um, let's see. Jesse, could you come and be Clemens, please? Okay, so you are Grumio's son. You're his biological son. Okay. The, the family resemblance going on here is incredible, isn't it? <laughs> and then just to finish it off, we need someone who's going to be the magistrate because the magistrate had an important role as well. So Dave, could you come and be the magistrate, please? Let's call you Davidus. Okay, so Davidus, if you can just stand over here, please, for now. Because you come in. Because actually, for the adoption to happen, there were two very significant steps. Because, as I said, to transfer a child from the authority of one father to another, it wasn't just done lightly. There was a seriousness and a lot of involvement, actually. So what happened was this. We've got Grumio here, who, although he's been a good cook, uh, and he's had, got his son Clemens, 
he, he was in a bit of trouble and he knew that Clemens's future wouldn't be great if he continued just to be his son because he was a slave. The future was that he would always be a slave and if, if, when he had children, their children would be saved. It was just how it went. So he wanted to have a better future for his son. And he was in a good relationship with the, their master, Caecilius, and the family. And so he came to an agreement that Caecilius would adopt Clemens's, uh, Clemens as his son. So what happened was this. Caecilius would go over and he would essentially buy Clemens by giving Grumio the money. Okay? And then Clemens would go over. Okay? But that wasn't it. Because then what would happen is Grumio would go back and buy Clemens back. <laughs> that's a bit strange. Nothing seems to have changed. But that's okay. It didn't finish there because Kakilis would then come again and buy him back again. Okay. And then Grumio would go back again and buy his son back again. And a final time, third time, Caecilius would go and buy Clemens from Grumio. Finally. <laughs> now that process of the buying backwards and forwards, known as mancipatio, was a symbol of the seriousness with which it was taking place. It wasn't just a split-second decision, oh, I fancy buying your son, he's mine now. It was to show that both parties were thinking it through really clearly and that there was a seriousness about it. So that was the mancipatio, but that wasn't the final step. That was the first of the two steps because then what would happen, Caecilius, as the adopting father, would go to Davidus, so enter Davidus, and take him to the Roman praetor, who was a magistrate, and he would bring his now new son, Clemens, and present his case and explain what would happen. And the magistrate then, in front of witnesses, would say, yes, this now, Clemens is now your son. Okay, so it's then, that's the second part, the vindicatio of the adoption process. Great, give our volunteers, or, what, or those who've impressed gang, at least, into the, a round of applause. Thank you. So the adoption process in Roman times, that with which when Paul wrote this letter to the Ephesians, this is the sort of situation that was going on. It was certainly not a light momentary decision. It was a serious thing that was binding in law in front of witnesses. And it led to a complete change of status for Clemens, for the, for the, the son that had been transferred from his biological family into a new adopted family and the transfer, the change was complete and it affected every area of his life. It meant that he had a new father, he came under a new power and authority so the, the, uh, the pater potestas was transferred completely but along with it he, be, he gained a new family so he gained a new mother and new brothers and sisters complete transference. It meant he had a break with the old family and any debts and liabilities that that old family had were gone. 
he no longer had any of those hanging over him anymore. And he got all the benefits of the new family. So everything that had gone before, any trouble that there had been with the old family was gone, separated completely. Any debts were cancelled. They were wiped away as if they had never happened. And the adopted person was regarded as a new person entering into a new life. And the past had nothing to do with it. They received the same rights as the new family. So the new status. Generally, it was into a more wealthy family, a higher status. You know, the class system in Roman society was very, very definite. And people couldn't generally move between them. But on this sort of thing, that enabled them to have a completely fresh start. And they gained the same rights as a legitimate family, so an ex- uh, a legitimate son. So in the example we had here, Quintus, who had always been a member of that family, had always been Caecilius and Metella's son. Clemens joining that family, even though he hadn't been born, he wasn't a biological son, he gained exactly the same rights as Quintus. And it meant that he then became an heir to everything that the family had. He had the same rights. Even if other sons had come along afterwards, it didn't change the status of this adopted son. And it meant that there was a commitment to the new family and all the responsibilities, all the rights they had. He gained the family name. So it's this sort of thing that Paul has in his thinking when he writes this letter. So what I want us to do is is look through this passage in Ephesians and pull out some of the benefits that we have if we call on God as our Father. Some of the benefits we have from being his adopted children. And we're going to look through seven Fs. Seven F benefits that we see here in this passage. So first and foremost... He is our Father, our Father. As we see there in verses 2 and verses 3 of the passage, God our Father, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. John 1.12 puts it like this, Yet to all who did receive him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. We are his sons and daughters. When we choose to follow him, when we, are, when we become Christians, we become sons and daughters. He is our father. We're no longer orphans. We're no longer separated. We have a father. You know, the wonderful news in Psalm 68 verse 8 says that God is a father to the fatherless. What hope that is for those of us who perhaps have had absent fathers or whose fathers have passed away, God is our Father. Such intimacy, such love. We have a Father who dotes on us. Phil Moore writes about being a child of God and he puts it like this. It means that we get to experience unprecedented intimacy with God. The Old Testament refers 14 times in total to God being Father to the nation of Israel. But the New Testament exceeds this total by only its fifth page. 
What is more, by telling his followers to address God as Abba, the Aramaic word for daddy, Jesus told us to expect this father-son relationship to be full of tender warmth through the Holy Spirit. The Jewish leaders were so offended by this idea when even the great Moses had only known God as a a man speaks to his friend that they tried to murder Jesus for teaching it in John 5.18. Paul therefore uses the same word Abba both here and in Galatians 4.6 as a warning not to settle for a gospel which is far too small. We have a father who loves us. In fact, our father can't resist us. He dotes on us. One of the songs we regularly sing in church is, I've heard a thousand stories of what they think you're like. It goes on, but I've heard the tender whispers of love in the dead of night. And you tell me that you're pleased and that I'm never alone. And then we get to the chorus, which is a bit of an earworm. It gets stuck in your head, but in a really good way. You're a good, good father. It's who you are. It's who you are. It's who you are. And I'm loved by you. It's who I am. It's who I am. It's who I am. So the first benefit of us being adopted is we have a father. Each one of us has a father. God is our father. Secondly, another benefit of our adoption is our fit. Now, I'm not talking about kind of physical health and well-being here. It doesn't mean we're fit in that sense. But we fit. We belong. Verse 4 says this. Just amazing words. Even before he made the world, God loved us and chose us. Even before he made the world, God loved us and chose us. Such few words, but my goodness, how hard it is to get our heads around that. We're adopted. We have our adopted dad. You know, Paul, nor Paul, nor, Paul, nor any of the other biblical writers ever refer to us as being God's foster children. We're his adopted children. You know, fostering is a brilliant thing. It's an amazing thing. But generally... It's just for a short period of time. It's for a limited period of time that children are fostered by people. But adoption is a whole different thing. There's a permanence to it. And certainly when we're talking about our adoption as God's children, there is a complete permanence. It's for eternity. He has loved us and chosen us. Loved us. One of my favourite verses in the Bible, 1 John 3, 1 says, See what great love the Father has lavished on us, that we should be called children of God, and that is what we are. See what great love the Father has lavished on us. It's not a stingy word, lavished, is it? Lavished on us, that we should be called children of God, and that is what we are. Loved and chosen. God has chosen you. He sought you out. 
know, we all have our own stories. We all have our, our kind of ways that God has got hold of us. But he has chosen you. He sought you out. He willingly, voluntarily, freely chose you. It wasn't that he was having his arms twisted. Oh, if I really must have them. He delighted in seeking you out, looking out for you and drawing you to him. He didn't do it out of duress or obligation. And he did it before creation, before time began. He wanted you. This is our father. This is our father. You have not slipped in by accident. You have not slipped in by accident. You are here because God chose you. You belong. You fit the way that you are, the shape that you are, the the thinking that you have, the character that you have. You belong because God has chosen you. You're meant to be here. Thirdly, another benefit of our adoption is to do with our failings. God deals with our failings. Verses 4 and 7 of Ephesians 1 say, To be holy and without fault in his eyes, he forgave our sins. Just like in the Roman system of adoption, any of the old debts of the old family were completely dealt with, done away with. It's as if they never happened. God knows our wicked past, our spiritual impoverishment, down to the smallest disgusting detail. And yet he loves us anyway. We did nothing to earn it. Nothing to deserve it. It's all God's initiative. And he deals with every single thing that we've ever done, ever will do. It's all forgiven. We are washed clean. As Psalm 103 says in verse 12, as far as the east is from the west, so far has he removed our sins from us. It's like we have never committed them. It's not that we were holy and blameless, without fault, but we become that because of that transference, because of the adoption. This is the incredible benefit. This week, uh, we went to see Lion the Witch in the Wardrobe in London. That's what that picture there is on the screen. I assume most of you know the story of Lion the Witch in the Wardrobe, this land of Narnia that was held in captivity by the White Witch, always winter, never Christmas, and four children from England, Peter, Susan, Edmund and Lucy, end up there, and they take part in this incredible thing where the king, the emperor from over the seas, Aslan, arrives and takes on the White Witch. Written by C.S. Lewis, a Christian, there's so much incredible biblical imagery in it. And there's a moment in the story, certainly in the version of the, how they did it in the play this, that we saw this week, where 
Aslan, the lion, this God character, meets three out of the four children for the first time. He meets Peter, Susan, and Lucy. He doesn't meet Edmund because he's already gone off with the White Witch and is essentially being caught up in her evil schemes. So he meets Peter, Susan, and Lucy. And the way that the, uh, the director of this play decided to demonstrate Aslan's acceptance and love of these three children was he got Aslan to, Aslan went round to each of the three children and gave them a flower. And in that, he was saying, you're welcomed and you're accepted and you're now part of my kingdom and my plans. And it was notable that Edmund didn't get one of those because he had already been part of the White Witches' schemes. And yet later on, Aslan makes an arrangement with the White Witch where he agrees for Edmund to be released from her clutches, from her powers. We find out later because he was willing to take the place of Edmund. But what happens, on, again, in the staging, in this particular way they put it together, was so powerful, was that Edmund, when he hears the news that he has been released from what the White Witch had planned, which was to have him killed, he is overcome with gratefulness, and he goes to hug Aslan. And what Aslan does is he reaches and gets a flower and gives it to Edmund too. In that moment, he was saying, I'm treating you exactly the same way that I'm treating Peter, Susan, and Lucy. You also are now welcomed. What has gone has gone. And in fact, what Aslan says to all the others, he says, there's no need to speak of this again. It is done, and it's in the past. This is what gets declared over our lives. By being adopted into his family, God declares there's no need to talk of what went before. It's done. It's dealt with. God has made us holy and blameless. He's declared that over each one of us. That's how he sees us, not because of what we've done, but because of his initiative. Is that how you see yourself? Do you see yourself holy and blameless? That's the truth that God declares over you. So the third benefit is he deals with our failings. Fourthly, our family. Our family. God decided in advance to adopt us into his own family. He identified you as his own, to be his own people. Just like in the Roman system, there's that complete transference. We get a new dad. We come under his authority. But it's not just an upward relationship with God, but actually side-to-side relationships. We get brothers and sisters. We have a family. We have a place where we can belong. If you look around this room, these are your brothers and sisters. You meet other Christians anywhere in the world. They're our family. What a beautiful, incredible thing. We belong to the strongest and biggest family that will be made up of people from every tribe, tongue, and nation. 
What an incredible thing. Not only do we get our new father, but we get a family. We get a place to belong and be, to have community, to have support. And that family is growing every moment of every day. There's new arrivals. There's new people getting those flowers, if you like. We do need to make sure we fight for family, that we go against disunity, because we're talking about our brothers and sisters in Christ. You know, this evening is an incredible way to come together and celebrate being united. Yeah, we have different ways of doing things, but we are all his children. Let's speak well of other churches. Let's speak well of Christians all around the world. Pray God's blessing on them because he delights in every one of his children. Fifthly, and this is something that I wanted to linger on, this fifth benefit, our favour. Our favour. This passage is packed full with some of the way that God demonstrates favour. Verse 3, God who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly realms. God who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly realms. Just let that one sink in a moment. You don't really need to go any further. You could spend days, weeks camped out on that truth. Don't we have such a tendency? Woe is me, I've got this going on, all that going on, my life is awful, I've got, I can't do this, I can't do that. He's blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly realms. Verse 5 picks up, this is what he wanted to do and it gave him great pleasure. Our Father delights in giving us these blessings. Verse 6, the glorious grace he has poured out on us. He's poured out his glorious grace. Just see kind of just ongoing pouring of grace. And then verse 8, he has showered his kindness on us along with all wisdom and understanding. Showered. Showered his kindness on us. You know, the thing about showers, if you get a good shower, it covers all over you. Different parts of you get hit by different bits of water. You know, when you, when you stay in a hotel, sometimes you get the ones that are just a little bit of a trickle and you're standing under it trying to get different bits touching you. And then you get to others and boom, it's like you're getting pushed down by this incredible flow of water. Power showers, the great warmth and just hitting all different parts of you and it's invigorating. He showers us like a power shower. It's not a trickle of goodness from God. Every day he showers down upon each one of us, his favour, his kindness, his wisdom and understanding. And we're cherished by him. He wants to enjoy us. Do you know what? You give God pleasure he is passionate about you. 
as it said in verse 6, it's his great pleasure. <coughs> verse 5, sorry. This was what he wanted to do, and it gave him great pleasure. It gives him great pleasure to shower us with his kindness, his love, his grace. Again, it's not because someone's telling him, or even if he feels a sense, it's not, he feels a sense of duty, but he does it because it gives him delight to do so. I want to read you a couple of pages from this book. It's an old book now called God's Passion for You by Sam Storms. Sadly, it's not in print anymore. You can get it on second hand. Just listen to this that he captures about God's heart and his delight for us. Every once in a while, we need to be reminded how incredibly good God is. We also need to be reminded how much God enjoys being good. We need to be told of the unfathomable depths of delight in God's heart when it comes to his treatment of his children. God really is good, and he really does delight in doing good to those who are his own. We need daily reminders of how incredibly good God is. Jesus certainly knew that to be true. That's why he said to his disciples then and now, do not be afraid, little flock, for your father has been pleased to give you the kingdom. John Piper explains every little word in this stunning sentence is intended to help take away the fear that Jesus knows we struggle with, namely that God begrudges his benefits that he is constrained and out of character when he does nice things, that at the bottom, at the bottom, he is angry and loves to vent his anger. This is a sentence about the nature of God. It's about the kind of heart God has. It's a verse about what makes God glad, not merely about what God will do or what he has to do, but what he delights to do, what he loves to do and takes pleasure in doing. Look closely at one part of this verse. Jesus says that the Father has been pleased to give us the kingdom. Has been pleased, using the Greek verb, see, not just Latin today, but Greek as well. God, just classics going on here. He uses the Greek verb eudokio. This particular verb is found only six times in the four Gospels. What makes its usage in Luke 12, 32, significant is the fact that in each of the other five places where it occurs, the word is spoken by the Father as he speaks about Jesus, his son. At the baptism of Jesus, a voice from heaven said, this is my son whom I love, with him I am well pleased. On the Mount of Transfiguration, Peter was silenced by the Father and told to listen to the Son with whom the Father is well pleased. Jesus selected the verb eudokio for a reason. It is the word he heard his Father use to express his feelings to him, the Son. So Jesus says to them, do you remember me telling you about my baptism, the dove and the voice from heaven? Do you recall what I told you my Father said about his love for me? That's how he feels about you too. Let's stop and catch our breath. The more I meditate on this, the more unbelievable it becomes. Yet there Jesus says it in words that no one can escape. God is as happy and delighted about giving you the kingdom with all its blessings 
as he is about my doing what I'm doing in fulfillment of his will. That's how much God enjoys doing good things for you and me. That's how much he loves us. We have such favour. We have such favour from our Heavenly Father. He showers his kindness, his goodness, his wisdom, his understanding on it, us, and he does it because he wants to cherish us. His passion for you is incredible. Sixth benefit of being an adopted child of God is it declares something about our face value. How much are we worth? Verse 7, he purchased our freedom with the blood of his son. Galatians 4, 4 to 5 says, When the set time had fully come, God sent his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those under the law, that we might receive adoption to sonship. The word redeem there and throughout scripture means to obtain or set free by paying a price. A a price was paid for you and me. How much did God think you were worth? He thought you were worth the blood of Jesus. That's the price tag he puts on you. That's the price tag he puts on me. You were bought at a price. What price? Jesus' very life. You lie on the witch in the wardrobe. You see the amazing sacrifice of Aslan. Aslan willingly goes to the stone table and gets killed so that Edmund can be set free. Jesus Christ willingly went to the cross so that you and I could be set free, that we could be adopted into his family. Ever doubt how much you're worth? Ever tempted to declare things, oh, I'm worthless. No one cares about me. Well, this morning, hear afresh that God cares. He declares you worthy. Jesus flung at his arms and said, I think you're worth this much. You are worth my son dying. That's our face value. Whatever other people might say about you, whatever you might say about yourself, God declares you are worthy. And the final benefit of our adoption is our future. We have a future, a perfect, wonderful, hope-filled future. Verses 10 and 11 of Ephesians 1 say this, this is the plan. At the right time, he will bring everything together under the authority of Christ, everything in heaven and on earth. Furthermore, because we are united with Christ, we have received an inheritance from God, for he chose us in advance 
and he makes everything work out according to his plan. Our Father hasn't brought us this far to then let us down. He's brought us to this place because he's moving us on. He has a perfect plan for you and me. Jeremiah 29, famous verses talk about God having a plan for us, a plan to give us a hope and a future. You know, you might not think your life's up to much at the moment. You might think there's all sorts of things, but our loving Father, who's adopted us into his family, he is committed to us more than we are committed to him or anyone. And he will see it through to completion. It's a plan for each one of us, a plan to bring him glory, actually. And as it says there, we have an inheritance. We are heirs with Christ. We are fully adopted into the family. Like Clemens was adopted into Caecilius' family. And when was co-heirs with Quintus, we are co-heirs with Christ. We become heirs of all the riches of God. Joint heirs with Christ, God's own son. That which Christ inherited and inherits, we also inherit. This is the sort of thing that Paul has when he's writing. This idea of the Roman adoption system that was so significant and so definite, bringing complete changes to every area of the adoptee's life. As children of God, we can know that he is a good, good father and we're loved by him. There's all these benefits to being his children. As we sung in the very first song this morning, we are free as sons and daughters in your house. We are chosen and invited to run in. We are yours. We are yours. Simon Holly summed up these seven Fs, which I've used a lot of his uh, teaching on this morning. He summed it up like this, and I've got it up on the screen. There we go. It used to be said that you could say that there is always someone who has a more significant father or mother, who fits better, who has failed less, who has a stronger family, who carries more favour, whose face value seems higher and whose future looks brighter. But not anymore. Not anymore. We are now adopted by the greatest, kindest and most perfect father. We fit because we were chosen to fit. Our failings have been covered by Jesus' blood. We belong to the strongest and biggest family that will be made up of people from every tribe, tongue and nation. We carry the favour of the King of Kings. Our value is worth the price of the blood of God's own Son and our future is to inherit the earth. Who am I supposed to compare myself to again? It'd be great to worship God a little bit more. So if the band can come up.
my heart for, for us this morning is for this greater revelation that we are his children, we are his sons and daughters. It's complete. The transfer has been done. We have been transferred from our own old families, however good they might have been, into this incredible family. Any debts have been dealt with. We get the full rights of his family. We get his family name. We belong. This is so key for us to grasp. Because if we really grasp it, it changes everything. It changes the way we relate with God. It changes the way we relate with one another. And it changes the way that we relate to those around us who don't yet know Jesus. There's such security in knowing we belong and we're accepted. Let's stand and worship our Father God. Mm-hmm.